Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored in part by Macmillan Audio and Ball Lightning by Sushan Leah. The new standalone military sci-fi adventure from the best-selling and award-winning Chinese author of The Three-Body Problem. It is a fast-paced audiobook about what happens when the beauty of scientific inquiry runs up against a push to harness new discoveries with no consideration of their possible consequences. Uh, you can start listening to the audiobook at macmillanaudio.com slash balllightning. And I am so excited for this book to be out personally because I am a huge fan of The Three-Body Problem series. So again, the new sci-fi adventure from Sashin Leah is called Ball Lightning. And thank you to Macmillan Audio for sponsoring the show. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 33 and we're recording on August 31st. Oh, actually, we're recording on August 24th. (laughs) I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're talking about trilogies. But before we get talking about our news stories, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, which is Mirage. And Mirage is by Samaya Dow. This is sponsored by Flatiron Books, which is publishers of Mirage. And Mirage is an enriching, thrilling, and captivating epic fantasy inspired by the author Samaya Dow's Moroccan Heritage. Super excited about this one. About a poor young woman who must become the body double of a princess of a ruthless empire. And this is a YA sci-fi fantasy debut from Samaya Dowd. Um, it's been making its way onto a lot of most anticipated lists. I've been seeing the book everywhere, and I actually have a copy of it on my nightstand ready to be read. Uh, and BuzzFeed says, prepare yourself for a story that's enriching, thrilling, and captivating. Veronica Roth is also a huge fan of the book. And uh, in Mirage, things aren't often as they seem, as you might imagine from the title. So definitely check out this YA debut from Flatiron Books, um, which is also the publishers of Caravel and the Hazelwoods. That was Mirage by Somaya Dowd. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. I listened to an interview with her yesterday. Yes. Oh, you did? And it was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think I linked to it in the Swords and Spaceships newsletter. But she gave a, she did sort of an interview with her, with an editor. Um, I can't remember if it was her exact editor or not, about like the inspiration for the book. And it was super interesting. Oh, that's I'll leave so a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, it was cool. Awesome. So I, can't, I can't wait to read that book. I got to get my hands on it. I know. I was trying to decide whether to listen to it on audiobook or in hard copy but now that I have Mm. the physical book whatever but I'm still (laughs) finishing Spinning Silver it's taking me forever to read that book by Naomi Novik it's so good though but I'm like I have so many things to read right now and I just I need to finish Spinning Silver but that's my the editorial problem forever (laughs) forever and ever I talk about it I complain about it every time but it's not a bad problem to have I love having too many books 
Well, let's talk about the Hugos, shall we? I knew you were going to choose that one. It's of so exciting. <laughs> it's so exciting. N.K. Jemisin, uh, we, uh, we've been talking about this for a while on the show. Um, and N.K. Jemisin did, in fact, win her third Hugo Award for Best Sci-Fi Novel. And this is historic for two reasons. She is the first person ever to win three Hugos in a row. And she's the first person ever to win for every book in a series. And like, we're not like, she was the first African-American to win best novel category in 2016, which is egregious. But like, she is literally the first person ever to win three in a row and to win for a single series, like for every book in a series. And I just could not be happier about this. Like I just, the, the series is so good. It's so good. And it's so important given like the active attempts to discriminate against writers of color and sci-fi fantasy and the Hugo voting over the past few years. That's like, if you Google rabid puppies and sad puppies, like that's what you're going to hear about. Um, and her acceptance speech was amazing. Did you watch it? I did. I did. I watched it as soon as it was posted. We posted it in the back channel. And I was so – it was so inspiring. She's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. So we'll link to – the link that we have for the Guardian's write-up of this includes an embed of her acceptance speech, which you should all definitely watch because it is just – it's great. It's just great. And she was and that wearing series a is great. <laughs> um, her cape is amazing. I know. I heard she got so many questions about it on Twitter that she like tweeted the link to it. <laughs> That's so funny. I thought like, oh, she's a, she's doing her superhero thing because it totally makes sense. Like sweeping oh. into Worldcon. I'm sure that's not what she was thinking, but <laughs> I dig it though. But we were talking about like how what a mess Worldcon was shaping up to mm. be right beforehand and. Like, this is kind of the best thing to come out of what was looking to be a bad situation in terms of, like, how Worldcon was treating its its marginalized creators in the science fiction community and how they were organizing it in general. And this Hugo's was just, like, I, I'm really happy about the results and about N.K. Jemisin winning. And women cleaned up, as this article says, mm -hmm. at the Hugo's, like – a lot of the people that I think we were rooting for to win won awards. So I was really happy about that. Like Rebecca Rowanhorse, very much loved among writers and beyond. Mm -hmm. uh, she wrote Welcome to Your Authentic Indian Experience, which I believe you, Jen, talked about. Yeah. And I just finished Trail of Lightning this past weekend. Ooh, how was it? So, oh, it was so good. It was really, really, really good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's on my so list. Good. And um Martha Wells' All Systems Red won Best Novella, and we do love Murderbot around here. Um Lois McMaster Bujold won a Best Series Award, Monstrous by Yay. Marjorie Liu, and Sana Takeda won Best Graphic Story. Ursula Le Guin got a posthumous award for her book of essays, like it's just, yeah, it was really good. It was a really good, I, I was excited for all of the winners. I mean, I usually am mostly, but like this was a very <laughs> good year. This is a very good year. And I did hear that the revamped programming um, that was done by a team led by R Mary Robinette Cowell to fix the issues that 
that Worldcon had had with their programming and marginalizing yeah. creators of color and there were gender issues and all that stuff. Um, apparently, it, the the rehash did well. So Yeah, it sounds like it. Everybody, I, I just got like little bits of, you know, the news from people who actually attended and it sounded like yeah. it was fine. Big yeah. few all around celebrations, champagne popping, Muppet arms, like the whole nine <laughs> yards. <laughs> yes, definitely. And now I don't even know how to follow that up. Like, how oh, do you, you can't. follow Like, what's next be- year going to look like? I don't even know. I know. It's, it's pretty amazing. Maybe one day I'll actually try to attend because that would be really cool. I got to say, I really enjoyed voting this past year. Yeah, that's right. How was the, so, the experience was good? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it's not like super slick, but it worked. Um, and I got, you know, copies of a lot of the nominees, which was a nice, you know, there's a fee and, and you get copies of many of the nominated works and then also the, yeah, voting rights. Um, and yeah, I was, I will be voting again for sure. It felt good. That's excellent. Part of a process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, since we were talking about Ursula Le Guin for like 0.5 seconds, yeah. <laughs> I will move on to news about Ursula Le Guin. Um, her novelette, Nine Lives, is being adapted. And this is kind of, there was so much interesting, there were so many interesting little tidbits in this piece about this adaptation that I just didn't know. I feel like every time I hear about Ursula Le Guin, something new, I learn something new about her. So this is an adaptation of her novelette, Nine Lives, which I have not read, but it sounds really good. Just just the fact that it it's described as a darkly comedic book. I don't think I've ever read anything by Ursula Le Guin that was darkly comedic or comedic in any sense. So I'm I'm kind of interested in this. It's set on a moon base uh, for off-world drilling, and it follows these two jaded workers who are excited about the prospects of, you know, incoming human company, and then their hopes are dashed when they're sent ten clones instead. And the themes that are um, included in this piece are cloning, individualism, and the importance of social connection. And this pe- the the novelette was actually published by Playboy of all places in 1968. Yeah. I know a lot of like fiction by some really now renowned classic authors were published in Playboy. Like Stephen King had stuff published in Playboy, um, and it sounds like it's very timely and it still resonates uh, in the present. So I kind of want to read this novelette, especially since it looks like it. It won't take that long to actually uh, get through it since it's a shorter work by her. And it's being, let's see, it's being directed by uh, Rodney's. I've never heard of this person. So Tom Basnan, who's a BAFTA nominated, um, he was BAFTA nominated for a Netflix series, Fresh Meat, is co-scripting the adaptation with Siri Rodney's and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, who's also going to direct. So they're trying to figure out the cast, and I'm sure we'll hear more about the news of this adaptation, and I'm interested to see how it turns out and how it is comedic. I'm really looking forward to reading something kind of funny by Ursula Le Guin. (laughs) 
Yeah, I haven't read, I I feel like I've read a lot of her things, although I know I haven't read everything, but I was surprised that somebody was adapting something I hadn't read. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to pick that up myself, for sure. Yeah, it's very niche. I've never heard of this. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's see. What do I want to talk about next? Well, while we're on adaptations... Let's talk about this His Dark Materials um, uh, casting because they have cast – where is my tab? They have cast (laughs) – let's see. Ruta – Oh, gosh, I can't. Ruta Gedmintis uh, for Serafina Pakala, which is, if you remember, uh, the queen of the witches of Lake Inara. And I do not know her as an actress, but you take one look, like the article says, you take one look at her photo and you're like, yep, that's right. <laughs> like that is that she just nails the look of the character, at least from my memory of the books. And... I also feel like, and I could be making this up, and ma- I didn't have time to check this before we started recording. So, you know, apologies in advance if I'm wrong. But didn't wasn't there like a like a like a love sort of plot um, between that character and the character that Lin Manuel Miranda yeah. was gonna play? I I predicted that you were gonna say that because I <laughs> do vaguely remember a romance blooming before those two characters. I think it was like one of those sort of marginal plot lines that happened in the book. And it's such a huge story that it's easy to forget. But I am 95% sure you're correct. (laughs) Right. So if both of us think it's true that Lee Scoresby and Serafina Pakala had like a thing, I feel like we're we're close to 100%. I think so. I think so. And that is very interesting to me. Like I can see this unfolding and like if they choose to put it in the movie, that would be a couple I would like to watch. So I'm here for this. (laughs) Yeah, I I am. I'm pre-shipping. It's correct. I am pre-shipping. It's funny. Everybody thought she looked like Fiona Apple, which I find hilarious. Oh, I mean, I don't disagree with that now that you've said it, I guess. She looked familiar. I don't know if Fiona Apple immediately came to mind, but she looked familiar. But I absolutely do not know who she is. And the the, the headline of this piece is literally, who is Ruta Edmintas? So yeah. I think she's like probably more of a... Um, more well known with like people who watch BBC because she's in she's been in some BBC productions. And I also thought like I I do think that she she definitely looks the part. I was very excited to find out who was being cast. Um so I'm even though I don't know who this person is, like just based on the look, I think they got it down as well. I also I was not a huge fan of the original The Golden Compass adaptation. Nope, Sam. Yeah, but I thought Eva Green did look the part as well, and they kind of share a sort of look. So if you liked Eva Green in the original one, like I, it sort of it sort of looks like they're still going in that direction. Definitely, they have the witchy aesthetic down. Mm-hmm. Which I am, of course, pleased about. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, I think I'm going to talk about the Harry Potter books. All right, let's do it. Because it's almost gift-giving season, and that was what I thought about when I saw this, even though these books are coming out in October. First of all, I was really – I saw this headline first, three new Harry <laughs> Potter books coming out, and I was like, oh, 
oh no, please don't <laughs> add anything to the story. But it's not that. These are more like crafty DIY and funzy, like definitely gift-giving books. So they're coming out in October. One of them, the I think that the one everybody is really excited about is the Harry Potter pop-up guide to Hogwarts. So I was I was completely obsessed with pop-up books when I was a kid and even today, I will admit. Like I love mm-hmm. those interactive books, like those books where you could like mm-hmm. pull a little piece of paper and things would happen. You know, I think everybody loves those. So that's one of the books that's coming out. And it looks really, really good. Like the artwork is really great. And it's kind of, it's a really complex looking for a pop-up book, a pop-up guide. So I don't know. I might have to pick up one of these for myself, even though I know it would just sit on my shelf and I wouldn't do anything with it. But um, it's going to be available October 23rd. And it says it's currently marked down to $45 from its listed price of $75, which is kind of uh, baffling to me, but it does look like an expensive book. So there's that. Oh, yeah. You know, um, pop up, especially with this level of detail that I'm seeing from the images, like that the production is no joke on those. I mean, I'm not saying that it necessarily should or should not be $75, but like they are not cheap to make. Yeah. I guess it's been a while since I actually actively yeah. bought a pop up book, but that totally makes sense. Like thinking about the printing and the way they have yeah. to construct it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm. I guess I shouldn't be so surprised. Um, <laughs> the other two books that are coming out, the the one that's coming out the soonest on October 2nd is Harry Potter Creatures, a paper scene book, which is also a fun looking multi-layer diorama book, which is also going to be um, pricey. Actually, that one's $30. Not too bad. Um, and then the third book is going to be, it's definitely, this one's definitely good for, for kids. It's Harry Potter, Imagining Hogwarts, A Beginner's Guide to Movie Making. So it kind of helps, you know, it encourages kids to try and do their own movie making and, you know, be early, have their early directorial debuts, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Through inspiration from the Harry Potter films, that one comes out October 16th. These just look really fun, and it's one of those times where I wasn't, like, I didn't have that sense of fatigue reading about some Harry Potter news. Um, So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing these and perhaps, possibly, maybe getting my hands (laughs) on one of these. Maybe the die-cut one to start with, the paper scene book. Mm. yeah maybe santa will bring you them for the holidays i put it on i'm gonna put it on my list and mail it off to mr (laughs) claus let's see well while we're talking about expansions of universes and swag um i want to close up with this piece that's been on the agenda for a while um the expanse is getting a tabletop rpg thanks to a kickstarter so the expanse novels which are both books and as i'm sure you all know tv shows um they are there is a tabletop RPG based on the books that was funded in literally one hour. Incredible. Um, it launched and it was funded in an hour and like well exceeded 
it's uh it's 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 target goal. Um and so it is apparently built around the adventure game engine rules used by uh creator Green Ronin's other tabletop games. And so the RPG tasks players with putting yourself into the conflict between Earth and Mars and the belt and you have to take on different roles like you could be a combat combat operative or a diplomat. Um and this sounds super fun to me even though I have not read or watched the experience <laughs> like I just I just love a I love that this is happening at all yes. because I think that these kinds of expansions of worlds are really fun like I've played the Game of Thrones tabletop uh board game which took like six hours but was totally worth it um and like I can see this being similarly enjoyable um and so it is set to launch in digital format in November and then backers are gonna get the physical versions of the rule book and the game master's kit in January. Um, and the Kickstarter isn't open anymore, but they're going to, there's a quick start version of the rules available as a free PDF. So even if you are not a backer, um, you will be able to check it out. And I just, I, I like tabletop games a lot. And I think the idea of a tabletop RPG is super interesting for this world in particular. So that's just, that's just neat. And I, I mean, it's astonishing to me that a Kickstarter would be funded in an hour but if you were going to ask me like if I thought this one could do it I would say sure yeah. you know the, there's a huge fan base so it makes perfect sense yeah the fandom for Expanse is like it's so huge and I think I I came to know about the Expanse just because of reactions from fans to this show rather yeah. than the actual like this is one of those <laughs> situations where the fans are really doing a lot of marketing which is incredible yes. and great and I think it actually happens quite a bit in the sci-fi community, there are a lot of big fans, and I'm, I'm also kind of not surprised, even though it's a huge number. Like, the number mm -hmm. is surprising to look at, to pull in for uh, in just under an hour. That is huge. But I guess I'm not surprised just because everybody seems like they're really, really into uh, the Expanse. And I'm not, I'm not really a tabletop player myself, but... But, you know, it sounds fun. And I might actually pay, play that Game of Thrones one because I really... Oh, man. You would enjoy it. It really? can get real um, contentious. Oh, wow. <laughs> because you can, like, make alliances and, like, you know, mess with other players a little bit depending on, you know, who you are. And then there's all these interesting, like, wild card situations. And, yeah, it's it was fun. It was really fun. Oh, boy. I'm really competitive. I, I, I cannot scary. remember how I did or which... House I got, which is silly. I should be able to remember that, but it was a while ago, and I only played the one time. But I did enjoy the experience. That's so um, cool. Six hours. Okay, it was well. long. We were at this bar, and we were just there for forever. <laughs> That's incredible. That sounds like the best time ever. <laughs> it was really great. We had a really good time. We yeah, we started at like two o'clock on a Saturday, and oh, we're just wow. still there, you know, for dinner basically. So incredible. <laughs> yep. All right, let's see. Let us go on to our second sponsor, and then we will talk about our picks for our favorite trilogies. Um, our second sponsor is Nightblood by Ellie 
Blake, sponsored by Little Brown Books for Young Readers. And this is the heart-pounding finale of Ellie Blake's gorgeously written and action-packed Frostblood saga. Uh, the fate of Frostbloods, Firebloods, and all of humanity is at stake, as is usual for the finale. Uh, Ruby's world has changed more than she ever could have imagined. She's in love with a powerful Frost King. She's the heir to the Fire Throne. And she may be a Nightblood, which is the spawn of a vengeful deity, hellbent on releasing his wraith-like Minax from their prison. Uh, these beasts might roam the earth and devour every last person until he or she is nothing but an empty husk, but Ruby is able to control them to a degree. And now she and her friends must find a way to bring the sworn enemies, the Frostbloods and the Firebloods, together to make a stand against the deadly foe. So if you are a, well, this is kind of perfect for a trilogy, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a trilogy show. So if you are a fan of series, uh, fantasy series with high stakes and lots of magic. This is definitely one that you should check out. So that is Nightblood by Ellie Blake. Thanks again for sponsoring the show. We did not plan that. It was no, just it just is planned. It just goes beautifully. I know. <laughs> okay, so I guess I'm going to kick us off by talking about somebody everybody knows I am a big fan of. I'm talking about my science fiction pick is the Binti Trilogy. By, of course, the prolific, magnificent Nettie Okorafor. We all love her. And mm -hmm. I've talked about this series once before, but it bears repeating because it's my personal mission to make everyone out there read it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of goes along with, you know, like the Becky Chambers, uh, not argument but the feedback we got where oh, oh uh, like yeah. the, uh, us annoying people into reading things yes, yes. <laughs> i'm hoping i do the same with the binti trilogy uh but you know it's just so nice to get wrapped up in a series when the whole kitten caboodle is out and you don't have to wait around for the next book and this is one where you can get through it pretty quickly and so Binti, if you don't know, is the story of a smart young woman making her way in the world, or rather the universe, I guess. And her story starts with a flight from home. She's been accepted to a really prestigious university, and she knows she can smash it out there with the intellectual cream of the crop. She is one of them. Um, and she's been recognized as one of them, which is incredible. And so against the wishes of her family and her community, she makes up her own mind and she heads off to Umza Uni, which I always have a problem saying. Um, but then, of course, she hits some roadblocks along the way. And some of them are not so far removed from our present reality. And then there are some that definitely belong in science fiction. For instance, she encounters some prejudices and some assumptions about her because she looks different. And the minute she leaves her life among the Himba people, she learns a lot about how others view her and her tribe. And she's very much underestimated. And it's sort of en route to Umza that an alarming event occurs, and I'll leave it at that. But the ship is hijacked and Binti might be the only one who has the wherewithal, I guess, to save a lot of lives and make a really big difference. And the Binti Trilogy is a novella series. So like I was saying, these are really quick, fast-paced reads. And I just blew through it just because I had to know what was going to happen to her and how she was going to fix this problem. Um, and that's kind of the sad part because when you really love a book and a story and a character – and then it's done really quickly. You're like, but 
where's the rest? So mm. it is going to be done before you know it, but there are three for you. And the books that follow and continue the story are Home and The Night Masquerade. Uh, the Night Masquerade came out pretty recently, um, I think just this year. And mm -hmm. yeah, a couple of the big themes in the series are uh, compassion and there's this sense of communication barriers and xenophobia and different civilizations trying to live side by side, what that looks like and the violence that occurs there. And at the heart of the books, these themes make them all feel really timely and relevant. And Binti herself is just a wonderful character to follow. I think she's why I became so um, obsessed with these books and invested in them because it's very difficult for me to get through series sometimes, especially all at once. And I found her really relatable in some ways and then also totally out of my league in others. Like, she's a super genius. So there's that. And speaking of Hugo Awards, the first book for this series won one for the novella category in 2016, and it also won a Nebula in the same category, so it's getting a lot of acclaim. I'm definitely not alone in my love for this series and for Okorafor's writing, as you might be aware. She's gotten a lot of attention um, and a lot of deals, and she's received a lot of well-deserved praise for the series. And I think it's kind of astonishing when a writer packs a big punch into a small space, like the short story writers and the novella writers. It, to me, it's as impressive as the, the epic fantasy, which I also love, and that mega world building you get a lot um, that I tend to gravitate towards. So this was a step away from what I usually read, and I it made me want to pursue more novellas to read in the future, especially science fiction novellas. And I do enjoy powering through a shorter work once in a while. And Binti is probably one of the best I've read. So again, if you haven't checked it out, that was the Binti Trilogy by the one and only Nettie Okorafor. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> um, so I have honorable mentions for both of my picks. <laughs> and and the only reason they're honorable mentions is just because I talk about them so much that I cannot in good conscience have them be my only pick. So my honorable mention for the sci-fi trilogy of my choice is the Machineries of Empire series by Yoon Ha Lee um, that starts with Nyan Fox Gambit and then goes to Raven Stratagem and Revenant Gun, which just came out this year. And this is, oh, it's so good. It's so weird. It's so original. It's so mind-blowing it's so heartfelt it like will gut you it's just really really great but you've heard me talk about that before <laughs> so I wanted to talk about another series um, that I love that I don't know that many other people that have read um, and it is the Revolution series by Stephanie Salter um, and it the three books in it are Gem Signs, Binary, and Regeneration and this series I really love because it does so trilogies are interesting, right? Because 
there's a couple different ways you can do a trilogy. And what my favorite trilogies do is that you sort of just like the, you know, the first book sort of sets, sets the stage and, and hopefully gives you some characters that you're rooting for and like sucks you in to the world that the author is introducing. And then the next two books theoretically should complete both a bigger plot arc, but take you farther into this world. And I really love the way Stephanie Salter managed this because the first book, you know, you meet certain characters and then the next two books, while there are recurring characters, you meet new ones each book and get a new perspective on this world. And that's a thing that I love. Um, and so the setup for this series is that it takes place um, in a post-plague world where humanity has just barely survived a huge epidemic and they've survived because genetic engineering like had like made huge strides and 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 basically everybody has been like genetically re-engineered so that they can't get sick in that way anymore but the fact that like humanity was saved has this terrible byproduct because now that humanity has all of this you know knowledge about how genetic engineering works they're like hmm you know what else we could do and so uh, corporations start actually designing beings to do very specific jobs based on the human genetic code. So for example, they'll create, you know, people with flippers to do undersea work and, and gills, or they'll create people with, you know, infrared vision, or they'll create people who be good miners based on their, you know, body type. Um, and, and, and they are not considered people prior to the start of the first book, which is gem signs. Um, but these, uh, they're called gems for genetically modified, you know, whatever humans, um, are petitioning for full rights. And so this, uh, sort of convention of scientists and politicians and thinkers and lawmakers has come together to decide sort of like a UN situation. Are the gems, like, do they count as people? Are they individuals with rights or are they the property of the corporations that, you know, like homebrew them in a lab? And there's really obvious social commentary going on here, of course. Um, but it, there's so much more as well. And the characters are so interesting and, you know, they, it's sort of like they have powers based on what they've been genetically engineered to do but it's not about like you know the x-men running around saving the day it's literally about them like wanting to have an apartment or like walk down the street and go to a cafe without you know the normal quote-unquote people you know, staring at them or making assumptions or whatever. Um, and it is so well handled. I will say that there are a couple of hate crimes uh, depicted in the book, and that was really rough to read. Um, but I thought it was so worth it. And I just found the way that the books jumped uh, from one sort of situation to the next in the evolution of how this my marginalized population is treated um, and the evolving of their rights and like their place in society to be just fascinating. I loved every 
every book in the series. And I loved how she shifted focus between the books. So I just like, this is one of those series that I'm always just like, have you read these? Read these. Like, you know, they're not, you know, like, they don't have a lot of marketing and they, they've all been out since 2015. And it's just, you know, sort of un, under the radar, but I really want more people to have read them. Um, and the author, Stephanie Salter, is biracial. Um, and so this was part of her considerations in writing it, which I think also adds something to the series as well. So again, that's the Revolution series by Stephanie Salter. The first book is Gem Signs. Really, really good. I love Under the Radar recommendations. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't heard about this. It sounds incredible. Um, I tried to do honorable mentions. I got totally overwhelmed, so I don't have any. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I should do that. No. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to go right into my fantasy pick, uh, which is one of few epic fantasy series I have ever powered through in my life. As in, I didn't move on for a long period of time before I got to the second book, and then the third. Uh, so I chose His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman. As we were talking about with the casting, I'm very excited about the upcoming adaptation. Um, and if anybody out there hasn't read His Dark Materials and wants to read it before the movie comes out, this is a, a great time. I think it's perfect for fall. And most of us, I think, if we haven't read one or more of the books, have watched the first movie, the first attempt at adaptation. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think maybe this trilogy came to mind because of all that. And I'm not really a purist about that whole the book was better than the movie concept, but I do stand by my statement that the book and the, the books rather are definitely better than the first attempt um, at the Golden Compass. So the Golden Compass is the first book. It's followed by The Subtle Knife and The Amber Spyglass. And the story follows Lyra Balakwa, who's the niece of a scholar. She's raised in this college where her uncle is researching some really strange phenomena, and she has a demon uh, named Pantalaemon. In fact, everybody has one. And when I read this, I was like, I want one of those. What would it be? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I would take that quiz so quickly. Uh, <laughs> but Lyra witnesses this sort of dangerous happening at Jordan College. And she learns some interesting things about her uncle's research that leave her with a lot of questions and some uncertainty. And then on top of this, Children are being abducted by mysterious entities being called the Gobblers. And one thing leads to another, and Lyra finds herself on this dangerous adventure to save these children. And this adventure takes her really far from home. It introduces her to the mysterious Mrs. Coulter and also to a boy named Will later on, uh, both of whom play really big roles in her life and in her journey and in the story. And this is by all means, a, like when I think about epic fantasy, I think about this series. It's sweeping, it's engrossing. And a very long time ago, maybe four or five years after the last book in the trilogy was published, I didn't realize how long ago these books were published. Um, but a friend ended up lending me the omnibus of this series. And I'm really not the sort of person who takes up a big tome like that and says, let's get through this whole thing. Like, <laughs> I'm way too distracted for that, especially when it comes to books. Like there's 
uh, a lot to read. Back then, I wasn't maybe reading as much as I am now, but I was still very distractible. But I did that with this omnibus. Like, I couldn't stop. And I had to know what happened. And I remember the reading experience as being a total trip. Like, it took me out of my world and... I didn't know what was going on around me. I was just reading this story. And I had never read anything quite like it before. I didn't even know what to do with myself when I finished it. Uh, But the book has some interesting religious undertones that have made it somewhat controversial. Although I remember reading an interview with Philip Pullman where he remarked that it didn't get as much flack as he thought it would because... (laughs) The Harry Potter books were being published at the same time and people were, you know, crying witchcraft at those books. But there are absolutely theological themes in here and questions and um, analysis. He didn't necessarily write this for a young adult audience, but it, it has been marketed to young adults. So I think this is great if you're maybe you don't read a lot of young adult fantasy, but you're curious about the books. I think it definitely translates to both audiences. And, you know, there are parallel worlds and there are witches and hot air balloons and talking polar bears and sciencey stuff as well later on. And the world building in here is really mega. A lot of people are who are still pining over the trilogy were kind of happy, nervous to hear about Pullman's most recent book, which we've chatted about um, on this podcast as far as news of it goes, mm-hmm. uh, La Belle Sauvage which is a book that's set in the world of his dark materials. And the first book in a planned trilogy taking place before Lyra's time and leading up to her birth. And to be honest, I still haven't read that book because I'm scared and it feels like a massive undertaking. Um, I mean, on Pullman's part, certainly, but also kind of on my part as a reader (laughs) who who loved those books. Uh, Maybe years from now when we're talking about trilogies all over again, I'll be talking about the Book of Dust trilogy. Uh, But anyway, I highly recommend His Dark Materials if you haven't read it, especially if you're looking for a book to kick off the fall season and if you want to read it before this movie comes out. And that was, again, by Philip Pullman. I had the same reading experience. I read the Omnibus Edition as, like, I think Yay! I was in my mid, my early 20s. and But that was not unusual for me. Like, I'm definitely yeah. the target audience for an Omnibus Edition. Um, <laughs> but I did love it. Um, let's see. My fantasy honorable mention obviously yes. goes to the Broken Earth series by N.K. Jemisin, um, which is the fifth season, Obelisk Gate and Stone Sky, which just won some Hugos, you know, NBD. Uh, so, you know, go, if you haven't read those yet, like I, people keep saying to me like, oh, I'm so like ashamed. I haven't read them yet. It's like, listen, like, no shame. Like you now get to read these for the first time ever. I wish I could ah. recapture that feeling. Like go go forth and like enjoy the fact that you are getting to read them for the first time. Like let's just dispense with this shame nonsense. <laughs> um, just enjoy yourself. Okay. Um, but so I picked. I I did pick a YA series for this. Was, it was really hard to nail down a fantasy trilogy that I was like just gonna pick one. Um, but I was thinking about the ones that have like surprised me the most uh, in a certain way. And the Graceling Realm series by Kristen Kishore is definitely one a, a a trilogy that I think about all the time. I've reread the books individually and together 
together and it's got a really interesting structure. So that is the one that I picked. Um, it takes place in a sort of very pro like typical uh, medieval, you know, pre-industrial fantasy world where some people have graces, um, which means that they have a special power and they are both sort of feared and desired uh, in that people desire to have them working for them. And Katza, who is the main character in the first book, Graceling, um, is like she thinks her grace is that she's good at killing. And she's used as an enforcer by her just terrible uncle, who is the king of her sort of province area. Um, and she lives a terrible life because she has literally been used since she was a child to enforce, to violently enforce the king's will. Um, and so her life is really sort of sad and terrible. And um, she doesn't think much of herself, but she doesn't really feel like she has, you know, a lot of other options. Um, but as the book opens, she is actually going on a clandestine mission because the way that she has decided to sort of redeem herself is by helping this coalition, the secret coalition, to write wrongs throughout the kingdoms. Um, she just like, this is how she's trying to make good for the damage that she's caused. Um, and, and while she's in the middle of this mission, this other person shows up and like can keep up with her and is like trying to disrupt her goals. And she's just like, Ugh, what is, what is going on here? And then he shows up again in her like day job. Um, so she's like, is he going to betray me? Who is this person? What is his grace? Like all of this stuff. Um, and they both, and uh, of course there is a love story. And over the course of the romance, they start to realize that they both have things that they believe about themselves that aren't true, things that they've been keeping secrets. Um, and it's just so, the character development is so good. Like, it's not so much that it's the most original concept ever because it's not, you know, this is a pretty, this is a pretty, you know, not unexpected setup. But I just love all of the the thoughts about, you know, who the stories that we tell ourselves as people and the stories that other people tell us about ourselves and how do we ever figure out if those are real or not and how do we decide who we're going to be. And each of the books in this series grapples with that. So the second book, which is technically like a companion to Graceling because it actually takes place slightly earlier in the timeline of these books um, internally, is Fire. And it is about a woman who lives in a slightly different region of this world and is unbearably beautiful, like supernaturally beautiful. And so her life has been incredibly constrained by the men around her, her father, you know, her best friend, who's also her lover. Like what she's allowed to do is 100% constrained by her beauty and like who she is going to decide to be and what she's going to use her power as limited and specific as it is for. And then the third book, Bitter Blue, which I like it's hard to say if I have a favorite. I think Fire and Bitter Blue sort of compete for being my favorites. But Bitter Blue is about a young princess who is like suddenly thrust into ruling a kingdom way before she's ready. And this kingdom is recovering from a huge, like sweeping trauma. And she herself is recovering from trauma. And it's like, how how do you move forward when something so awful has happened and and people are complicit but are they and how do you decide 
what's enough and how do you move forward and how do you forgive and do you forget and like what these huge huge questions and you're like this is a YA series like this is this is about teenagers in a fantasy world like they're you know they're falling in love they're like having like classic teenager problems but it's also these huge questions and I just think she handles them so incredibly well and this series like clearly it gives me all the feelings every time I talk about it every single time I'm like oh I have so many feelings now (laughs) so if you would like to have a lot of feelings and also there's like swords and archery and you know like all of magical politics and all of that jazz. Um, I could not recommend this series highly enough. So the series is The Graceling Realms. Um, it's by Kristen Kishore, and the first book is Graceling. That was an excellent recommendation. Oh, thank you. I I'm feel like excited. I just babbled for five <laughs> minutes. No, Capital F not. feelings. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's it for our show. Thank you so much for listening as usual. And you can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Let us know your favorite trilogies. We'd love to know. And also, if you like our show, please do review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people to find us. And you can also find us online. I'm on Instagram at Williams, S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And how about you, Jen? You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, and that's Jen with two N's IRL. And until next time, happy reading, everyone. Happy reading. <laughs>